Hello everyone, today is August 7th. The president says it is what it is, and if it's Friday, then this is the deal. A lot of calculating here at the Delve, and today marks 905 days. 905 days since the Stoneman Douglas High School shooting in Parkland, Florida. On February 14, 2018, a gunman opened fire with a semi-automatic rifle at the high school, killing 17 people and injuring 17 others. This horrible mass murder left an indelible mark on the United States, not only because it was the deadliest mass shooting in America's history, but also because of the eruption of youth activism for gun control that followed. The students' movement is crashing the Capitol. I'm 14. I shouldn't have to think about getting shot in my school. We're going to make a statement that teenagers can't change the world and that these things really can't happen without somebody doing something. See, the people in the government who were voted into power are lying to us. And us kids seem to be the only ones who notice and are prepared to call BS. Politicians who sit in their gilded house and senate seats funded by the NRA telling us nothing could have ever been done to prevent this. We call BS. That us kids don't know what we're talking about, that we're too young to understand how the government works. We call BS. Many student survivors criticized the response from politicians and asked them, not to offer just prayers and condolences, but to take action to prevent more students from being killed in school shootings. Some students launched groups and rallies, and this was really just the beginning of the momentum for youth activists all across the country. Around the world is planning to skip class tomorrow to protest against climate change. The protests are planned in more than 130 U.S. cities and in about 90 countries around the world. Greta Thunberg is one of the leaders of that movement, and we've just learned that she has now been nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. Way too long, the politicians and the people in power have gotten away with not doing anything to fight the climate crisis. But we will make sure that they will not get away with it any longer. And the Green New Deal resolution put forward by Ocasio-Cortez and, and Senator Markey earlier this year did exactly that. Uh, it calls for getting America off of fossil fuels and stopping climate change, the creation of, of a massive labor force, tens of millions of good, high-paying jobs in the process, and the virtual elimination of poverty as well. We are now in the era of March for Our Lives, Black Lives Matter, Greta Thunberg, and women's marches, and it doesn't stop there. The midterm election will be determined by young voters. By the campaign's so-called Dean's List, a group of young volunteers, Hello. say they became engaged after seeing how Parkland, Florida students became politically active. The Parkland shooting happened, and then it really became clear that youth had a place in politics. And that you think Parkland was part of yeah. that flip being switched? Oh, totally. Definitely. 40% of people under the age of 30 say they definitely plan to vote Tuesday. That's a significant jump from 23% in 2014 and 31% in 2010. Former presidents, we turn now to a new generation of civil rights activists committed to picking up the torch. We need someone to spearhead it. No justice! On the streets of America this week, that next generation is emerging. So what is it? about this generation that sets them apart? Is it a product of political circumstances? Is it the access to information and networks via social media? Do they genuinely just care more? I thought I might as well just ask. I sat down with Hannah Zimmerman, 
the youngest appointee to the Democratic Convention and New York's youngest elected official. She co-founded the Institute for Civic Organizing, a youth-led think tank reimagining how people learn to interact with government. I was also joined by Frances Schroeder, their communications director. TICO has created America's first standardized academic organizing curriculum, BOCO. The curriculum, lesson plans, and assignments cover past and present social movements, research methods, and leadership in conflict resolution skills. These topics are curated for primary, secondary, and post-secondary students. And here we are, discussing their incredible work. Hey, Hannah and Francis, thanks for coming on to the Delve. How are you today? Hi, good. Thank you so much for having us today. Absolutely. I am so incredibly impressed with this organization and each of you. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got started and kind of what organizing means to you? I'm, I'm trying to find the right way to describe it. Uh, <laughs> no, it's just um, I, I talk about it all the time. Uh, and Fritz right. knows that all the all yeah, Francis has heard me say the same like selling point like every day for like a month at this point. So I'm trying to find like a new way to describe it. A new approach. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A new approach. That's actually a great description in and of itself. I guess uh, the original idea for Tico came out of uh, Prince and I both go to Stanford, but we actually didn't know each other before Tico. But my first two years, I spent a lot of time working as like a teaching assistant and uh, lecture designing classes about political organizing and teaching them in the classroom. And that was a really rewarding mm. experience for me. And it was definitely interesting to be doing that at a school like Stanford, which has such a heavy like tech background. And that's what a lot of people associate it with because um, I was beginning to think about the word innovation. And it was so interesting to me that, you know, that word is something that's so confined to business and tech and no one really associates the word innovation with the public sector or government and things like that so I began to sort of like explore ideas like that I was sitting at a bus station in Virginia in August and I wrote down in a notebook a lot of these ideas and sort of the blueprint for Tico and then um, I put that away and um, started working abroad. I was really fortunate to serve as a political advisor to the Social Democratic Party of Germany last fall. So I was working with German politicos on how to use Facebook, uh, how to um, design political communication techniques, things like that. That was where I started again, playing around with these ideas of innovation, of government institutions, things like that. When I came back to the U.S. and sort of was looking through this notebook where I had written down Blueprint for Tico, um, I started working with some organizers, some advisors, and put Tico together. It was really exciting. At first, we were more of like a loose coalition of organizers just because um, we were so many ideas and people were coming in and out. And it, we were so excited. We sort of had this idea of activism meet academia. And as we kept working, we became more of a think tank where we started thinking about how it's sort of the role of the person to be continuously questioning their government structures and institutions. And that is the way that we can sort of see innovation in the public sector. 
And that is how we can sort of keep making progress. And there's just like in any other part of our society, there is no done end point with innovation, with, you know, making social change, things like that. It's just constant evolution. That's what we've been spending a lot of time working on. And slowly in the months that uh, Tico's been around, we sort of evolved into becoming a think tank. And that's just really exciting, I guess, for me, because um, we're an entirely youth-led think tank. We created the discipline civic organizing, which is what I see as the future of organizing. We've had some really cool momentum. We have three really cool programs. Francis joined us sort of for the summer. And because of the pandemic, we actually have been thinking a lot about sort of what the world is going to look like post-pandemic. And that's actually the conference we're having at the end of this month is a scholarship now in activism post-pandemic to um, give our speakers and guests a voice and sort of helping build sort of this new post-pandemic society, which we hope is based on more foundations of equality. Like Hannah said, I joined earlier in the summer um, when I moved home from college and had a lot of time on my hands. And I've really enjoyed every all the work that I've done so far. And we're super excited to hope SnapCon at the end of the month. Like Hannah said, it's our first virtual conference, which in of itself, it's a big step um, to learn how to host a virtual conference and how to market that. But it's been super exciting to be able to reach out to other organizations and other individuals, and I'm excited for it. Um, yeah. Awesome. And then have you found that a lot of people your age are eager to engage in organizing and activism work? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't. I think there's some people who definitely aren't, but I think with the current time that we're living in, there's sort of been more barriers to getting involved civically because of the pandemic, especially because everyone's at home all the time. And it's like, you know, you can't do things that are more traditionally you would think of. So that's a lot of what we've been looking at. And a lot of what we're looking at in the conference is like, how is the pandemic going to change how people are involved civically and what that will look like for years to come. What do you think is the greatest barrier to young folks wanting to become more civically active? Is it due to like lack of resources? Do they not know where to start? What is that that's keeping them from being more engaged? That's actually uh, what we spend quite a lot of time thinking about. What we spend a lot of time talking about, and this is sort of the basis of what civic organizing was created upon was that movements tend to have such high highs and low lows that it becomes difficult to sort of find a sustained method of engagement just with how hard it is. So the sort of idea that, you know, engagement could become sort of an internal constant thing one is doing is um, not just sort of an individual action. It's thinking about community and sort of the role of the individual within community, and that can help reduce this barrier. But there are several barriers, and there's not really one, or at least in my opinion, that can really pinpoint. In some ways, it's a lack of centralized information. In some ways, it's time. In some ways, it's um, movements come and go. There can be like a lot of sort of protests and sort of direct actions and 
you know, two week periods and then it will all sort of die down. I come from a sort of campaign background. And uh, the thing about campaigns is, you know, if you're a campaign staffer, you know, there'll be like 12 job opportunities one time and then six months from now, there'll be nothing. So it's just sort of a very sporadic world and that can make organizing stressful and uh, unpredictable. But sort of the idea that it could be sort of standardized and like a constant part of people's life would be really wonderful because, you know, that's how we can sort of, you know, reduce this sort of feeling of division between people and their politicians and hopefully reduce more barriers to entry with that. You guys have started this while being pretty young. And I think that's incredible. I actually started my first civic organization when I was quite young. And it was such like a, I guess, interesting time of, of one's life, trying to like figure out how like an organization runs and all this stuff. But one of the things I like found that there was like often pushback. And sometimes it was like, oh, but you're so young, you might not know what you're doing. Oh, you know, you have to, you know, work for a few campaigns or, you know, you don't really have the experience to kind of pull this off. My organization ended up, you know, doing really, really great stuff, registering hundreds of thousands of people and being involved in lots of different campaigns. Have you guys experienced any pushback, maybe against the idea of civic organizing or personally because, you know, you're so young? Yeah, I think, Hannah, you might have more to say about this, but in my work so far, I haven't received a ton of pushback. I think right now is a very, it feels like a lot of the political climate and the political conversations that are going on right now are dramatically changing in some ways. Um, And I think something like TECO is incredibly important and something that people are increasingly more interested in supporting and in being involved in. Right. Definitely. I guess when I was like 16 and things like when I was first sort of getting started, I was really into Bernie Sanders and I was in high school. I faced more of that, but I actually have kind of found the opposite. And that, I guess, sort of my more personal experience, but, um, I spent a lot of time like in the spotlight as an adolescent for um, the activism I was doing. And I'm really thankful for sort of the doors it opened and things like that. That's definitely a lot to put on sort of young people to be able to have like the responsibilities of an adult. And it was definitely hard when I got to college. I was originally a year above Francis. I uh, took a gap year this past year to work on Tico. I sort of got to campus and a quarter of the incoming freshmen already knew who I was. Um, I sort of felt like I already had this reputation and, you know, it was harder for me to, you know, spend as much time doing the personal growth and development I wanted to do in college as much as defending the work I did in high school. That is in some ways the downside of public facing careers is it's really important to do this kind of work. But, you know, it also can sort of create a paradox. And you can see this in a lot of why movements fail, which is the spotlight is in many ways like a drug. It can sort of, you know, turn people in the wrong ways or turn people off, things like that. Activists can sort of accidentally become celebrities. And it sort of contributes to why movements have such high highs and low lows. And that's in many ways why Tico exists to sort of help standardize 
this idea of engagement and civic organizing so that you don't there aren't all of these factors because media cycles just shift that's just the nature of the world if there's a lot of push around gun control that'll sort of die down and there'll be pushes around other issues but if there was sort of this consistent desire this consistent way of making meaningful change perhaps on the local level perhaps through the internet perhaps in the classroom you don't have to rely on the media so much and that can in some ways reduce the barrier to entry that we were talking about earlier what's happening in the world right now where young people are not just being part of you know the organizing but they're leading the organizing what is that shift? What's happening? <laughs> Talk to me. <laughs> I think it's always the responsibility of young people to sort of take that first step. It's because, you know, young people have more time. They have the privilege of, you know, I guess for young people right now, no one's allowed to go to school. So, you know, you have all this sort of like right. time and freedom from, you know, sort of economic constraints. And I also think that it's sort of the role of the youth to create the society that they want to be a part of because they're going to have the longest time to engage with it. I think it's awesome. And I also think that one of the cool things about sort of the organizing sphere or sector is it doesn't depend. It's not like other industries or things like that where the person with the most experience is in charge or, you know, the person with the most experience has the most say. It's really a fluid space. You can think about lived experiences as well as energy, as well as engagement. That's a lot of why young people can find such a home. You could have been doing this for 10 years or 10 days and you'll be doing, you know, similar work. Francis, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I totally agree with everything Hannah said. And I think another thing that has really allowed young people to be engaged is obviously social media because it's connecting people all over the world. It's allowing for a platform for organizations like Tico to flourish. And it's allowing for people to connect with other individuals and um, movements and to hear from other people. And I think it's, it's just really added to a lot of fuel to the fire of young people being involved in civic organizing, it's a really powerful tool. Like obviously there are potential damages that can come from social media, but I think a lot of what we want to do is to help people learn how to use social media most effectively. And when used that way, it could be really powerful. And then Tico is on a mission to integrate activism and academia. And you have created a curriculum <laughs> to help teachers and educators provide their students with the tools to organize. And you've curated these skills for primary school students, secondary school students, and post-secondary school students. What is that made up of? What is a organizing civics class? Yeah, I'm more involved with our sort of programs and products, so I can take that. So we actually just renamed our program to POCO, Principles of Civic Organizing, just uh, because we thought it might be a little bit confusing to have TICO and then Organizing Civics to have the name switched. We had some focus groups in June where we sort of explored the idea of what is organizing with people our own age. We had about 15 people participate in the focus groups. What 
we found was that people wanted to sort of, you know, use the classroom to work as a space to learn how to listen, how to respond to lived experiences, how to work together. And perhaps the most interesting comment we got is that people wanted to use the classroom as a vehicle for making change rather than, you know, using the classroom as a vehicle to teach how to make change in the future. Your classmates or sort of your co-organizers in making change. And when reaching out to sort of our faculty network of people who advise us either more or less officially, we're a part of the Bonner Social Action Webinar, which is a group of social action educators who sort of come together to talk about how to teach organizing. And I was speaking with one and he told me about how the federal government used to have a program and this is set up under sort of the New Deal provisions of FDR they used to sort of give grants directly to communities and educators in the classrooms to do engaged change-making work on the local level as like a provision of the federal government. And what happened was they started making too much change. His program was too successful. And then I believe LBJ, you can fact check me, he cut the program. In some ways, one of the things about this pandemic sort of blowing up the ideas of what is the classroom and what is the university, since, you know, so many things are online, is it sort of blown up what does the classroom do? So, you know, we can think about the classroom as a vehicle for change, and we can also play with sort of ideas of the classroom, whether it be a high school, whether it be a college, whether it be a community center. Or even we've been working with a design thinking engineer this summer who's been creating online courses for us. Like we can serve as a classroom as well. It's a really interesting time to be doing this kind of work just because so much has been blown open and there's so much room to make change. And there's, you know, so many opportunities for civic organizers and people thinking about civil society that just did not exist six months ago. How do institutions get involved? Like, how do they decide, hey, I think this is a great program. I want to bring POCO to campus or I want to bring POCO to the fifth graders. How do we get our hands on this curriculum? Yeah, well, you can sign up on our website. We're currently uh, doing testing right now. We have our first fellowship class this summer, and this fall we're going to be working with Michigan State University to sort of test our program across their extension schools, which are in different urban, suburban, and rural areas, to continue to do this work. And hopefully by next year, we will have curriculum that's available for educators. And we use the term educators rather than teachers to be a more sort of inclusive word. The most you could do is sign up. Uh, you can take beta test. We're currently beta testing our local government program and our digital democracy program. So you can explore two of our other programs. You can come to our conference to meet like-minded educators. Francis, I, I started pitching. Do you want to take it away? <laughs> I actually, I actually want to come back to the conference and talk a little bit more in depth in a little bit. So don't give away too much of the good stuff yet. <laughs> I, I want to talk a little bit about the article that you published in ID. And I got to read it yesterday and I was like, whoa, this is like really, really good, easy, concrete stuff that folks can do. Tell our listeners a little bit about the article that you guys published. Yeah. So uh, that was me. Tico was more of a loose coalition of organizers 
for the first five months of our operation. It's crazy to me that we're only seven months in. Yeah, just how much we've gotten done. Someone on our team was like, hey, I have a vice connection. And so we uh, pitched this op-ed to just think about what is civic engagement during a pandemic and sort of how to be civically engaged during a pandemic. The vice editor really liked it. I love the idea of blending things, obviously activism, the academia. So sort of within the article, we had um, concrete steps when sort of thinking about organizing, things like that. I am a digital organizer sort of by trade. A lot of those steps came a little bit more naturally for me just because I've been working with the internet as a space for change for four years now. The other thing is that we have a course sort of embedded within the article, which is our introduction to digital organizing. And this is something I developed while I was in Germany. So this has been translated and uh, it's currently used all over Germany by the Social Democratic Party. And it was a course that was sort of meant to bring people into thinking about the internet as a space for change without, you know, going too in-depth or, you know, sort of scaring people away. What was really fascinating to me about this course is that whenever you take our class online, I get an email, like someone has signed up to take your course. The people who signed up to take our course were all over the world and they were all ages. Oh, wow. Yeah, we've had like 40 or 50 people sign up through the article. Like we had someone in rural Iceland take our course. I was like, what the heck? Um, oh, wow. So just uh, insane to me that civic organizing is well, at the current moment, we don't have the facilities to expand across the U.S., but it's just insane to me how sort of these skills are not just confined to, you know, what one would think of as a traditional student in either um, K through 12 schools or college, but, you know, sort of people of all ages want to learn these skills, want to sort of develop these projects. And in some ways, that's another thing the pandemic has shown us just about how many things have been blown open. You guys have a conference coming up and I want to hear all about it. And I want to see what we can tell listeners to how they can get involved as well. Yeah, we have our very first virtual conference coming up on August 29th. It is called SnapCon, like we talked about earlier, Scholarship Now and Activism Post-Pandemic. The best ways to get involved are on our website and on our social media. The conference is born out of a desire and a um, need that we felt to bring together community members, including like students, educators, and anyone interested in civic organizing to allow and build the foundation for civic organizing that is innovative and sustainable. And we have a really cool online platform that'll allow for like breakout rooms and question and answers. Like obviously we would prefer to have an in-person conference, but that's just not feasible right now. Um, So the online platform that we're using allows us to do the most that we can virtually. Um, we'll have notable guest speakers and attendees can forge relationships and coalition build with other attendees and learn about Tico and all of our products and become a part of our community. So we're super excited and I think it'll be a great conference. 
That sounds awesome. And you said it's August 29th. Yes. Okay, just writing that down in my notebook so I can register. (laughs) (laughs) Yay! Yay. (laughs) Of course. And then I guess, is there anything that you would, you know, want to tell our listeners? Is there anything else, whether about Tico, anything? Our call for fall opportunities goes live today. So uh, anyone who wants to sort of join the team in the fall. We know that a lot of people have been displaced from their schools, communities, are considering taking time off, things like that, and can always find a home in Deco. That is incredible. It's like you were saying, especially because of the displacement and the kind of like how unpredictable everything is. Tico sounds like a nice home. So <laughs> I support that. That's great. Uh, well, Hannah, Francis, thank you so much for taking time to speak to me on the Delft today. I really appreciate it. This was incredible. Thank you so much for having us. It was so nice to talk. Yeah, that was so kind. Thank you. We really love the opportunity to talk about the work we do. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's amazing. Thanks so much again. We'll be right back. Do you like candles? What about fun ones that make you feel good? Etta Arlene candles are handcrafted vegan soy candles made in super small batches with lots of love. They smell good and have awesome messages on them for you and your friends. They make great gifts for all of the amazing people in your life. Check them out online at edaarlenecandles.com. Well, the Republicans have given up on us. The federal boost of unemployment benefits expired July 31st for the tens of millions of Americans now out of work due to the coronavirus. Uh, Last week, Republicans published their bill to continue this unemployment boost, although cutting it from 600 bucks to 200 bucks. And now it's zero bucks, as they've left Washington without passing any unemployment extension. A new poll shows more than 50% of voters under 35 do not have the resources or knowledge necessary to vote by mail. Aside from being in the middle of a pandemic, a lot of young voters may be voting for the very first time. It also doesn't help that every state has different voting rules. For example, while you can register to vote online in New York or Michigan, you can't register online in Texas or Arkansas. Different states also have different registration and ballot deadlines. With the election 88 days away, if you or someone you know needs to register to vote or request a mail-in ballot, you can go to the delvpodcast.com and register online. I'd recommend you do that today. The president has done it again. He's done it again. His TV appearance drew a 33% viewership bump, but probably for all of the wrong reasons. The president had an unusual interview with Axios that appeared on HBO this past Monday. And oh boy... Or there's some treats in there. Take a listen. There are those that say, you can test too much. You do know that. Who says that? Oh, just read Who? the manuals, read the books. Manuals? Read the what books. Manuals? Read the books. What books? What testing does? Who, no, no, sorry, shows, wait a minute, let me, let me explain. What testing does? It shows cases. It shows where there may be cases. I've covered you for a long time. I've, I've gone to your rallies. I've talked to your people. They love you. They listen to you. They listen to every word you say. They hang on your every word. They don't listen to me or the media or Fauci. They think we're fake news. They want to get their advice from you. And so when they hear you say everything's under control, don't worry about wearing masks, I mean, these are people, many of them are older people, well, Mr. President. What's your definition of control? Yeah, 
under the it's giving them a false sense right of security. Now, I think it's under control. I'll tell you what. How? A thousand Americans are dying a day. They are dying. That's true. And you ha it is what it is. But that doesn't mean we aren't doing everything we can. When I took over, we didn't even have a test. Now, in all what, fairness, why would you there have a was test? No test. The virus for didn't this. exist. How would Excuse you have a test? I was say. Okay. Death is going up now. Okay. No, it's no. a thousand a day. If you look at death, yeah, okay. it's going Let's up look. again. Let's look. Daily death. Take a look at some of these charts. I'd okay. love to. We're going to look. Let's look. And if you look at death, yeah, per, started to go up again. One. Well, right here. The United States is lowest in numerous categories. Uh, we're lower than the world. Lower than we're the lower world. Lower than what is that? Europe. In what? In what? Take a look. Right here. Here's case death. Oh, you're doing death as a proportion of cases. I'm talking about death as a proportion of population. That's where the U.S. is really well, bad. Well, a thousand Americans are dying a day. They are dying. That's true. And you, it is what it is. It is what it is, folks. What an insane, delusional, and cold assessment, Mr. President. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for your leadership. The president also signed a new bill called the Great American Outdoors Act. It's a bill to maintain the national parks. While giving some remarks, he said something that really made you go, what the f When young Americans experience the breathtaking beauty of the Grand Canyon, when their eyes widen in amazement as Old Faithful bursts into the sky, when they gaze upon Yosemites, Yosemites towering... Sequoia. 88 days to Election Day. We can end this in 88 days. Make sure you're registered to vote, folks. You can register or request an absentee ballot online at thedelvpodcast.com. Let's get to work. Order those ballots. Thanks for listening, and that's The Delve. I'll see you next week.